0: You're listening to Faithful Adaptation, an audio series produced by Luther Seminary's Faith Lead, a connection hub for current and emerging faith leaders curious about big ideas and breakthrough practices for ministry. In this episode, recorded April thirtieth, 2020, Chris Steubing addresses the topic, Nurturing the Scattered Church, Experimenting with Missional Communities. It's good to meet um, those who... uh... I'm just meeting digitally here today. So, yes, my name is Chris Stubing. I'm pastor at Christ the Servant, Lutheran Church in Vandesites, where I have been, uh, it's going on three years. It'll be three years and a couple months uh, that I've been here in a redevelopment setting. So an official mission redevelopment of St. Paul Area Senate and ELCA. So we've been in partnership with them. uh, And it was about seven years ago that Christ the Servant was at a spot as a congregation, they'd been um, in very rapid, uh, sort of decline and um, some conflict situations and they voted to whether or not to close the church and sell the building and they voted no and then brought in an interim and that interim uh, helped them kind of navigate whether they would continue or not and and uh, ultimately discerned to go into redevelopment and i found that there's a real sense of community focus, a neighborhood focused congregation, and uh, they benefit, we benefit from the community itself. Uh, there's not any other churches in this 13,000 member or uh, population uh, suburb of the cities. There's a, there's a small church that, that is, I, I think it's kind of a, really more identifies with, with a different suburb. So really, we're the only congregation in Badness Heights, uh, for the most part, you know, church with a building. And so the the whole the whole town, even though they're members of other congregations, uh, really look to Christ the Servant as, um, in some sense, a uh, center of the community. And at least something that has been consistent. So I think we benefit from that just in terms of, um, you know, unlike perhaps where I served a church in, in an urban setting. In, in um, South Minneapolis. And there was a Lutheran church with a big building and traditional ministries a mile away from each other, you know, very close proximity. And um, so here there's a real sense, like the community needs and wants a congregation here. So with that, we have, you know, we found we haven't had to recreate the wheel in regards to having an imagination for outreach as a congregation. In turn, and at least in terms of mission activity, serving the community, and so really the name of the congregation is clear identity that um, gets put into practice. So uh, a lot of service projects, um, and um, kind of a do-it-yourselfer congregation. It's a church that that they they literally built their own building, sure. and we have we have videos of the people who are up up on the up on the crane up at the top of the building putting the Stuff there when they when we built their current sanctuary and and every bit of it is sort of like that. So there is a real sense of of um, collaboration and we're we're in this together. Of course, um, the identity really has been what we do inside the building, or what we do as a gathered community. So um, anyway, that that's what we've been on and we've been doing a lot of dreaming, a lot of planning, a lot of leadership development, and we just put a new mission statement, vision statement, values, uh, after a couple of years of assessment and preparation and conversations internally and externally, as is typical sort of, of, a, of a redevelopment process. And we just celebrated with the bishop visiting us in January. And, and uh, we're like, here we go. And we're putting a long-range plan together. And that long-range plan um, didn't even get ink to paper. And a pandemic hit. So that's the rest of the story, I guess, that we will talk about today. Um, but personally, I have um, married. We've been here since 2002. My wife and I, we have two kids um, that are in third grade and seventh grade. They, they're thriving because they have mom and dad at home. And we're getting a lot of family time, even though we're having to multitask with all of the working and school and from home. And um, And I'm from San Antonio, Texas, originally. So, and I've served in the St. Paul area synod and another congregation, uh, Shepherd of the Valley and Apple Valley, and in the Minneapolis area synod as well at uh, Hope Lutheran Church in South Minneapolis. Great,
1: thanks, Chris. Um, I'm curious, um, first, if you could just sort of share a little bit about um, the 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 culture of the church and how you've um, where you feel um, that 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 y- that your ministry and your leadership has been integral in kind of helping shift the culture to a discipleship culture, um, and possibly to where maybe the congregation itself, sort of in the DNA of the congregation, already had, you know, already had those inclinations, and maybe just talk about the the ways in which you've seen that shift leading up to leading up to this moment.
0: I think that uh, the congregation was was just uh, at a point of desperation, on the one hand, and I've spoken with other redevelopers about this. When congregations get to that point where you have no other options, um, and at least we're willing to try something, they've almost a sense of we've we've been to hell and back, and uh, you, you know the. Uh, other stuff didn't, didn't work we'll, maybe we'll be open to it. And that's not exclusively, of course, because we definitely have had a lot of, a lot of baggage in terms of trust issues and things from conflict in the past. And, um, but I will say, surprisingly enough, and just uh, thankfully to God's work in the people, just the, the love and faithfulness of the people, that there really has been an openness to the pastoral office that's been surprising to me given what they've been through. Um, and so that, and the other piece I said within the first year at Christ, this is what God doing stuff. The first year of my time there, we had all these plans of what we would do for redevelopment process that you go through these steps that are kind of recommended and we, we did them, but, but that wasn't what made the difference. What made the difference was that we had, uh, you know, 14 funerals within 12 months that included uh, a handful of matriarchs and patriarchs of the congregation that just solidified a, a sense of trust in me, you know, and so I don't take that for granted that there's a personal trust in me as an individual leader that people are willing to listen to me. That um, I'm not sure would have been there had we not, you know, at least in the same way, had we not been through this. But I also think there's a real openness and a readiness of the congregation because they they realize there has to be something more than the personality of a pastor to enable them to persevere and have a sustaining uh, mission uh, and purpose as a congregation uh for the future because they've been down the road of the personality of a pastor defining them either for 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 good and for thriving ministry times and for and for declining times and crisis times that have been really stark and so it has not been a dip, it has not been difficult for me to describe that for people um, so with that i think there's an openness and then I brought with me just a real clear emphasis on what I'm about and what I'm passionate about is shifting from a centralized, top-down, organizational, institutional mindset of the church that focuses on the personality of a pastor and what happens inside a building and, and events being led for a crowd size, gathering of church, to um, to a grassroots um, everyday life faith and discipleship and a mission of all the people and all the baptized so i brought that in i said that from the get-go and people were like okay that sounds good we're a do it yourself for church so whatever you say and we'll see and you know it hasn't been without frustration and without challenges uh, but like i said since there's a trust there in, encouraged by that first year of almost sort of like you know going through the fire together emotionally and spiritually. Um, Um, And and there's just really good faithful leaders here that are willing to like trust the Lord and go into some new terrain together.
1: Chris, talk a bit about the um, sort of the missional community model and um, you could share a little bit about, um, you know, where you have learned about it and, um, and why you felt, you know, why you felt that's, even before the pandemic, that that was sort of a direction you wanted to go in terms of um, helping form disciples?
0: Yeah, so I've been fascinated by this
1: idea for
0: quite some time. And um, so for the last six, six, seven years or so, I've been reading books about it. And there's been this movement, it's just sort of innovation and mission, innovation and ministry, missional movement. Um, And I found a lot, it, it seems to me that that the most conversation I've seen in that regard has been in the conservative evangelical denominations. Um, but that's not necessarily, uh, you know, it's not necessarily uh, closed off to that. But um, that's where a lot of the conversation I found is. So it's been interesting to try to be in a progressive denomination and then also participate in the conversations of the missional uh, missional discipleship movement, and so a couple of different organizations that have influenced me one is the uh, Soma Church Network, which is out of Tacoma, Washington, and they focus on planting churches with a missional community model i 'll say more about that in a minute as well as three dm which is a uh, uh, it's a coaching network really for churches um, growing a, a discipling culture and a, a missionary culture in the 21st century. And so I've done a two-year learning community with 3DM. And, um, and, but before that was just reading a lot of books and watching a lot of things on YouTube and trying it out and failing over and over again. <laughs> so, um, and realizing, gosh, I need, I need something more. I need more experience with this. So I went through that two-year uh, books. There's, a, uh, I got some on my shelf up there, but um, 3DM has a, has a bunch of them. There's a book that describes missional communities as a movement by Reggie McNeil. It's called Missional Communities, I think, is what the name of the book is. Um, and then there's uh, books by the SOMA Church Network, actually. I think, it, I think they go by Saturate the World. Um, again, all of these coming from a, a more of an a evangelical, um, conservative church approach. On the other hand, what I find is that there's so much continuity with our, our ecclesiology. And, and yet, not necessarily in, in the practical application of it, but certainly in the theory of it. So uh, you can find them on 3DM. There's an Empowering Missional Disciples. There's a Multiplying Missional Leaders. Leading Missional Communities, Launching Missional Communities. Um, There's, uh, those are from 3DM. And then um, there's quite a few others. One's called Total Church. Um, I saw that book. And um, that's, I guess, you know, theoretically my development. What was the second part of your question there, Katie?
1: So, just talk. Like, what is a missional community? Sure.
0: So, basically, the idea of a missional community is it's, it's a it's a name and a title, but it comes from the looking at the vision and the structure of the local church body that we see in the New Testament, and the, that the structure that created the foundational. Um, organizational structure for the church was based on the ancient and very common cultural unit of society of the extended family household. And so in the ancient world that we see in the New Testament, there's a, there's a necessity of relationships that has a, a pre-existing relational network and multiple families living together in the same literal home but oftentimes not necessarily blood relation um, it, because out of necessity, right? It's people that work together and they had to survive. And so it's a subsistence dynamic. And that wasn't unique only to, you know, first century Palestine or something, but throughout the Roman world. And, and um, so the word in Greek was oikos, household. And there was something to that dynamic and that size that was kind of like kindling for the... The growth of the church that we see in Acts. And whenever, whenever the spirit blew and, you know, you see people, a whole household being baptized, you know. Um, so the mindset around a missional community then is to look at this is what we saw in the ancient world. And then now we see other cultures today where that's happening and you don't have to come up with some kind of a, of a model or a structure for it because it's just a part of the culture. They didn't think about that in first century, go, we got to develop a missional community. No, it was just an extended family household. It just was a part of the culture. In our culture, it's not, right? And for whatever reason, there may have been elements for that in the past, but living in an individualistic, consumeristic culture, you know, isolated, nuclear family household mindset, we don't, we don't have a culture that just supports this sort of extended family relationship network that uh, we sort of would take for granted. So we have to find a way to cultivate that, almost to teach people how to do that again. And that's what a missional community really is. It's taking those ordinary things of life that would have been integrated into the life of just everyday ordinary people in the early church. And you wouldn't have had a mindset that there was a separation between church and home, so to speak, because the church was the home and the church was 24 7 168 hours a week because it was a part of everyday life and so they did not have to try to translate it but we do so a missional community is a way of imagining okay so how how do we teach people how to live as extended family household very practically speaking it means a group size that's that's um, not what we're typically used to in the gathering, which is a crowd-sized group, maybe 70 plus, because um, we see that size grouping in the New Testament, or Jesus sends out the 70. So I think maybe there's a group of 70, or there's bigger crowds like thousands and thousands, of course, um, and then there's the really small group of the three and the 12. But then we know that there was an extended family network that Jesus built around him that wasn't based on location and it was not based on biology. And so um, we see this being what Jesus formed and taught all of his followers to form. And so I was just reading to my daughter last night. I have her trying to read the Bible for the first time. And we were reading Mark chapter 3. And at the end of Mark chapter 3, all of these people, these crowds are coming to Jesus, and, and then his family come to him, and they're like, don't let these crowds tear you apart, Jesus. And, uh, he's, and they're like, your family's at the door knocking. You need to go. And He says, my family, uh, my mother and brother and sisters are those who do the will of God. You're looking at them. It's the family that we're creating. It's a spiritual family on mission for the gospel. So that's what we're trying to do with these missional communities, practically speaking, they're groups of 20 to 40 in size and um, there's no necessary there's no science to it necessarily and um, but it's it's basically trying to find a sweet spot what we call what we say is um, they're small enough to care and large enough to dare and so um like i i mentioned before i mean katie knows this we had this long-range plan in place we have one pilot missional community started with our youth And uh, we had the luxury, can you imagine this? That we could actually get together in someone's home and eat a meal together. It's a luxury today. Uh, So now we have to try other stuff, like uh, everything possible. But uh, just to sort of launch that next part of the conversation maybe is what we did was we had this plan in place to launch more missional communities. And we thought incrementally over the next two years, we would launch several missional communities based on this model. And um, then the pandemic hit, and I had to make a choice. Am I going to have a centralized, top-down, institutional approach to the crisis, where I sit in my office and call everyone individually, the pastor burns out, um, or is our crisis response going to be more decentralized and grassroots movement? And we're like, okay, it's it's time to launch missional communities, even though we're not necessarily ready, even though we haven't had training, even though people haven't seen what it looks like yet Um, we're just going to throw some spaghetti up against the wall and see what sticks and so I took the list of our membership and the people that I know I know one of the questions Dan we talked about was how do you choose the groups Um, based on the pre-existing relational networks that I know about because I've developed the trust in to the degree that I can in three years with the people and the knowledge of the relationships and took the existing leaders that we had, some of of whom had been through some really focused discipleship development and our current uh, ministry leaders and whatever ministry teams and council that we have and distributed them, dispersed them, scattered them. That's the word, by the way, in Acts 8. It's the same word that's used for the diaspora. It's disperse the people. They were dispersed. They were scattered. And like seed, and uh, one of the uses of that word is in agriculture is the seeds are being scattered and all of a sudden you know it's just growing in ways that we're, we're not expected so that's what we're doing and um so it's been about i don't know a little over a month and we're seeing some interesting innovation happening with that.
1: maybe give just a couple of examples i know we've got maybe about five minutes left in this section or um but but share just a couple of different examples of things that that you've seen and the innovations that you've seen happening as you've empowered lay leaders um and you know to to be dispersed and scattered in these missional communities
0: mm-hmm. so we've done a little bit of training just a real ba i did like a basic training um, giving some background of missional community to folks. Uh, but for the most part, what I've said to people is we have two things going on here. It's like two sides of the coin. On the one side, it's a crisis response. We have to do something right now. And it's either going to be, um, you know, like (coughs) I said, a a centralized organizational approach or we're going to try something new. And, um, so we're asking people to just help us and partner in this crisis response, basically just to make sure everyone in the congregation gets communicated with, is supported. If there's critical needs, we hear from them, and it can bubble up like a grassroots sort of ah of a approach, right? And we don't have to just um, uh, have it be all individual relationship with me personally or our staff or a couple of people so um and make sure that people get communication they can connect with worship and all that kind of stuff so that's the crisis response and so that we're ready to deal with that and then you might imagine well that could go away and maybe some of these groups that's all they would ever be uh depending on the leaders and depending on the people because the reality is people didn't ask to be a part of this we didn't give them a choice we didn't give them a chance to think about it wonder about it we just said here's your group (laughs) and um and so I don't expect that they have to or should be come something more than a crisis response. on the other hand, I believe they, they can also serve as learning laboratories for mission, both for training for the leaders as well as people having an experience of church that's something other than what happens in a building at a set time for an event that they can experience church in a whole new way and so we're seeing that happen um, in 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 some surprising some surprising ways. Basically, the, the the ability to connect with people relationally and shepherd them, where otherwise they might just be, you know, a whole bunch of lost sheep. Where we're, we're, it's like we're dividing the sheep pins. I've been mean, thinking about Good Shepherd Sunday, you know, it's the missional communities are a little, whole bunch of little sheep pins rather than trying to have one sheep pen and it's not big enough or something like that. We just got a whole bunch of them. And that's the crisis response. The other is, really having our leaders develop the opportunity to grow some skills, to imagine themselves as ministers and missionaries. This is all in our language for our mission and our vision. And it, it's been theoretical uh, to a certain degree, right? Except for the folks who who have dived in. We've talked about this where it's like in, in missional discipleship, there's two tracks. There's the fast track and the slow track. And the fast track is people who are ready to dive in, follow Jesus, experience my vocation, my sense of call. I'm going to live into that and we use the language of we want to equip and send disciples who can preach, teach, heal and forgive in everyday life within the church and within a daily life. Um and so some people are on a fast track for that. And other people are slow track. I'm just going to come to worship, I'm not sure that I, you know, even want to talk to anybody. I'm not going to come to fellowship time and even have coffee with people. I'm out the door, whatever. They're on the slow track, but at least they're getting some of the language. I feel like this pandemic has been, I've been thinking about that Star Wars scene whenever the Millennium Falcon says it's time to go to light speed. And then all of a sudden it goes, and they're into the, you know, it goes from zero to a million um, in just uh, three seconds or something. That that's what's happened for our whole church right now. Everybody's on the fast track whether they like it or not. Uh, they may not stay there, they may not like it, but we're going to love people along the way and we're going to try this. And I've seen the innovation happening with our with our group. Katie, you're in a group that's primarily our elders, primarily people 80 and over or 70 and over. Um, and uh, boy, they have been very creative. They are not able to get together physically, but how they're caring for each other and shepherding one another. And I just keep encouraging the the leaders who are part of that group you are ministers and missionaries right now you don't have to wait for my permission or for me to organize something for you and one example that they're doing is um katie you might have to do this virtually because you're in utah but uh, there's a 95 year old lady who hugs everyone every single week when they come in the door she can't do that right now and it's her birthday on sunday her name is katie too and so they're going to do a drive-by birthday uh for her on sunday uh, those kind of things that people are just organizing on their own. It's decentralized, it's empowering and sending them, go be the church now. The other is our youth missional community that's kind of really interesting. Um, we, They they have been going, I was helping them, leading them, but I just empowered them and said, you keep doing this. and And they've been meeting weekly and they're coming up with some resources, care packages. We have a whole bunch of young adults, not a whole bunch, but we had a handful, I guess, of young adults who've come home who were at college and we didn't have any communication with them before, right? We only, we filtered everything through the Sunday morning gathering. So if you're not there, we don't have a relationship with you as the gathered body of the church, right? So now here they are back, they're participating. We still can't get together physically but we've encouraged them to be this extended family household and they're starting to develop their own network where it wasn't there before. Um, And those are sort of the things you just sort of hope it will develop. Uh, But again, like I say, at the bottom line, at the very least, that um, the crisis response is done in a way that everyone feels cared for and supported, communicated with. And if there's critical needs, we can respond to them quickly and faithfully. Thanks for listening to Faithful Adaptation, an audio series from Luther Seminary. Stay up to date on our Faith Lead conversations and see upcoming guests in the series. Join the FaithLead Learning Laboratory, the social network for Christian leaders to connect and share at faithlead.mn.co. Thanks for joining us.